Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, this is Doug Aldrich from Whitesnake, and you are listening to Talking Metal. This is Ron Scalzo from Return to Earth, otherwise known as Q-Ball. And you're listening to Talking Metal. If you want to make an impact online, GoDaddy.com has what you need. Dot-com names as low as $1.99. Plus, world-class hosting, fast and easy website builders, and much more. As a listener of the Talking Metal podcast, enter Metal 2, that's M-E-T-A-L-2, when you check out, and you will save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions may apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com, official sponsor of the Talking Metal Podcast. Rock, rock over London, Zurich, Auckland, Dublin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Sydney, Indianapolis, Tokyo, Seattle, Paris, Budapest, Berlin, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, two men who are committed to rocking you wherever you might be, John Astronomy and Mark Striegel. Welcome to the Talking Metal Podcast, broadcasting around the world from TalkingMetal.com and StriegelsMusicNews.com. Yo, John Astronomy here. I'm laughing at myself already. Welcome to episode 205 of Talking Metal. This is a special on location and in transit episode. I am about to get on the Hudson Bergen light rail. It's kind of like an overground subway. Uh, It's kind of like futuristic in my opinion. They've got this computerized female voice that comes on and tells you where you are and where you're going and... uh, and it's crazy. You don't even have to put money in. You, you just, like, step on it, but you have to buy a prepaid ticket and stamp it. And it tells you that you're allowed to ride this thing for an hour and a half. And if you don't get a ticket uh, and you get on and somebody asks you for a ticket, you get at least a $100 fine, I believe. But some people do try to risk it, jump on, and then jump off before somebody comes to get the ticket. And uh, I've actually seen someone get a fine before, so... Be sure to buy your ticket. Do not cheat the light rail. So anyway, I am coming to you solo today because Mark and I are so busy and we've got so much great content to get to you guys that we're doing some of these host reps on our own. On today's show, we have two great guests. We have Doug Aldrich from Whitesnake, amazing, amazing guitar player. We got a really great interview with him. It's about over 30 minutes in length, really, really great. And we've got an interview that Mark and I conducted with Ron Scalzo, 
alias Q-Ball, from a great band called Return to Earth. And uh, we'll get into a little bit of that soon. Uh, lots of crazy, crazy stuff going on today, right next to the original home base of Talking Metal in Jersey City, which actually was my old apartment. A person next door went off a high floor or the roof or something like that and is now deceased, sadly. Fox 5 News in New York said that it appeared to possibly be a homicide, and WNBC.com said that it was suspicious. So we will keep the Talking Metal listeners updated on this insane thing that happened directly next door to the original home base of Talking Metal. Thank God we moved. You know, we don't want to be involved in any kind of, you know, suspicious falls or homicides or deaths or any of that crazy stuff. Another person sadly passed away in the area when they uh, jumped out of their window uh, in another high-rise and landed on top of the awning of a restaurant that I really like. Really, really sad. Unbelievably sad. So I say a prayer for both of those people and hope that nothing like that ever happens again. So I am about to get on what is called the Hudson Bergen Light Rail. I am at a stop called Exchange Place, which is just over the Hudson River near the World Trade Center. Maybe I can get this crazy voice for you on tape here. So I am about to get on the train. I might have to sign off for a little bit. So stay tuned. I'm getting on the train right now. So... Don't know if you heard that, guys, but I am on the train, and we'll be right back in a minute. Stay tuned. Hey, guys. I am back on the light rail. I am actually looking directly at the building in question where the tragedy occurred this morning. Uh, Did not see anything out of the ordinary. I am on the train, so I am not technically that close to the building. Going to get another look over there right now, see if I see anything, you know, any action going on. Um cannot see anything so who knows what a tragedy what a crazy thing white snake 30th anniversary of white snake they got a great new album out called good to be bad on spv slash steam hammer records uh it's out all over the world guys germany europe north america just came out features david coverdell on vocals of course doug aldrich on guitars red beach on guitars from dokken and winger Uriah Duffy on bass, Timothy Drury on keys, and Chris Frazier on drums. All the songs were written by David and Doug, and it was produced by David, Doug, and Michael McIntyre. So, guys, I am telling you, this album is insanely good. There are a lot of great tunes on it. Uh, Turn the page here in my notes. Give you kind of a little rundown. Best Years, to me, sounds like classic 70s. In early 80s, Whitesnake, some great keyboards in that tune. Good to be bad, the title track. Reminds me of, like, Love Ain't No Stranger era, Whitesnake. Lay Down Your Love. Reminds me of, like, really cool rockers like Still of the Night from the 1987 Whitesnake record. All I Want, All I Need is a ballad, kind of in the same vein as In This Love, 1987. Great tune called Till the End of Time, which uh, you'll hear Doug talk about in the interview. Uh, These guys are going on tour with Def Leppard. You've got to go out and buy this record. Check it out. Uh, Without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Doug. But first, let's hear a sound sample of Good To Be Bad by Whitesnake. Here it is.
John Astronomy for Talking Metal. I'm hanging out in Midtown Manhattan with Doug Aldrich of Whitesnake. How you doing, Doug? I'm great, John. Thanks for thanks for coming and seeing me. Well, thanks for having me, man. I, I wanted to talk about the brand new, unbelievable Whitesnake record, Good to Be Bad. Congratulations on the record. Thanks, man. It was a lot of fun to make, and I'm just happy that it's getting out there now. I'll tell you, this record was a refreshing album for me to listen to because it really takes me back to all of the different eras of Whitesnake. Uh, there are songs, you know, every song has its own personality on this, and, and there are songs that remind me of old late 70s, early 80s Whitesnake. There's stuff that reminds me of, of Whitesnake around 84, Whitesnake around 1987 to present day, and uh, just... Once again, congratulations on writing and co-producing one of the, the greatest albums I've heard this year. Oh, cool, man! It, that, that's a big compliment coming from you. And and uh, like I say, we're we're really we're proud of it. We worked really hard on it, and uh, it's it's turned out really well. Um, and it's interesting that you say about you know that it's covering some different eras of White Snake because that's that's what I hear too. And I'm really happy about that because there's a with White Snake, it's a it's a very difficult thing. You've got fans that are very committed to the old guard. Fans are committed to the early, the early White Snake. You know, after DC got out of Purple, and then there's other people that love the Slide It In era or the '87, and so forth. And so you can't really sit down and go, "Hey, how do we let's write a song that that has everything all in one?" You know, but you just have to write, which is what we did. We wrote what we wanted and. Through the process of elimination, we we picked some songs that went well together, and it kind of created a vibe that 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 was that had a, a flavor of of all those times of White Snake. So it's it's cool for that. I'm happy about that. What I think is really cool is that although there are you know amazing other musicians in the band, you and David really wrote this record together, and and you also co-produced it. How did that all work out? Well, it was. Just on accident, really. I mean, I've never, I've, I've dabbled with um, engineering for a long time. I, I really enjoy tweaking as a guitar, as a musician, as you are. We love to, you know, experiment and listen to, uh, you know, play around with the with the the controls to see what kind of different sounds we can get. And so I, I had a little bit of experience in things, but mainly we just. Um, it took us a little bit longer, but we just knew what we wanted in our head, and we just had to fiddle around with the with the, the sounds until we got it there. And as far as the writing goes, it was it was a really natural, organic, it, very inspiring for me to um, to sit with David with just a couple of acoustic guitars, and we'd bang out some ideas and we'd stick them on an MP3 or a cassette or whatever. And we probably had about. Um, and we, and we do a lot of stuff like backstage. We jam on ideas, or he'd say, "Hey, this would be really cool for something," or somebody else would. And so we had all these things. And then we sat down at the end of um, Christmas, Christmas 2006. I went up to David's, and we sat down and banged out. Um, we took out of those first batch of ideas. We took two two ideas and made proper demos of those two songs, and we were really excited about it. And we just kind of went from there. We got on a roll, and before we knew it, we had a bunch of tunes. And one of the key things was having um, a third person involved, Michael McIntyre, who's really talented, and he's got great ears, and he's 
worked with David for 20-some-odd years, so he really knows Whitesnake. And he would go, yeah, I really love this one, that one's cool, this other one, I'm not sure if, if that, you know. And so it was like a, a fresh outside perspective on, our, on the songs that we were coming up with. And it just kind of came together, you know. The whole process from writing it to recording it to where we are now has just been kind of, okay, well, let's work on it. If, and if we were excited about it, it was easy. I can really tell that, that you guys were excited about it because it just seems like everything fits together. And I like the fact that, you know, it wasn't like you got off tour and then somebody said, okay, you need to go and write it and record an entire album in six months. You didn't do that. You took your time and made sure that you finished this album when you guys were ready to finish it. Yeah, that was, that's, that's exactly what it was. And the thing is, is that somebody said to me, um, that it had been 11 years since White Snake had done a studio record and something about this and I said well you know we just didn't want to rush anything <laughs> but right. but basically um we did not rush anything these are all just just ideas that we had and we pieced them together in our in our in our own spare time or, or our own time frame there wasn't like a deadline but Something about that not having a deadline made it roll a little smoother, you know. And um, and we were there's something about this process that you know it was really rewarding. It's always cool when you write a song and you're excited about it, but this time there was something a little more. And um, no matter what was going on in in anybody's life, David's or mine or Michael's, once we got a a new couple of demos to listen to you know in our car or whatever we were so excited it didn't matter what happened you know um so it was very rewarding to see those songs go from just a couple of acoustic guitars to demo state then then and then when you record the record for real that's a whole new enchilada you got to deal with but uh it was good i know exactly what you mean that when you come up with an idea and you go and record it for the first time you just want to put that cassette or now it's probably a CD and and just crank it and listen to it and it's so cool to hear the song come together. Yeah, it it's like you know you, you created that thing out of nothing and um and like I say you you do these demos and you get a bunch of songs and then you pick the ones that seem to fit good together and and something that represents what everybody's vision of white snake should be for this day and age. And then you got to start over from scratch and re-record it and make it into a record, and that's when the band guys, you know, every, we all Everybody get together. together. And man, it's a daunting task when you start when you when you've got like we probably had fifteen demos or something or whatever, and then we picked ten or eleven, and it's like okay, where do we start? Oh man, I mean, we we wrote for probably and demoed stuff for probably five months, something around there, and. Um, to go back and start from square one on the first song or the second song is just like, oh, man, it's a lot of work. And there's some stuff that, that like, from my end, I, I couldn't recreate. There was, um, like, there was some acoustic guitar parts on a song called Summer Rain, which is a kind of a ballady song that's got a really nice melody to it. And when you're doing demos, you just grab whatever guitar. It doesn't have to be in tune. doesn't matter. But I was up at David's. And he had this guitar that was uh, once owned by John Lennon. That I think it was George Harrison or somebody gave it to David. It's amazing. Yeah, 
and it's it's sitting on the wall and it had rusty strings and it was buzzing and all this stuff and there was an air humidifier that was plugging away next to me and i just grabbed his vocal mic slapped it down by the guitar and i recorded the acoustic guitars for that song and then although i did re-record them three times those acoustics i could never even though the sound was better i could never get the vibe back of that that one day you know it just wasn't happening would you ever consider releasing them as like some kind of bonus box set track or something I don't know. David probably he he would probably um, I I know he really enjoyed the demos. It's you know there's a lot of scratch stuff on there. There's he would sometimes he'd have his melody that he wanted to do or his his phrasing, but he might just make up lyrics on the spot. So I I don't know. But but the thing is is that there are times with with that situation where you just got to go. The demo guitar part is the best. So let's just move on. But it's a lot of work after you do those demos and you go back and record it for real. To, it's it's a very scary thing, you know. Definitely. Now, what's pretty cool is that you got a bunch of other heavy hitters in the band, and when when you, David, and Michael finish up the demos, and then it comes time to to present them to the group, do the other members like Reb and and Uriah and, and Timothy and Chris do they try to learn the parts exactly like you played them on the demo, or do they? you know want to come in and add something or change something how does that process work no we we definitely i mean we're all at that point we were open to whatever anybody could do to make the song better to make the parts better and um you know the 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 essence of the idea is there but but it's it needs to be like you know i'm not a bass player so it needs to be a proper bass part you know the the essence of it there the basic idea is there but then Uriah made it into a real part that was 10 times better than anything I could have done and the same thing with the stuff that Reb did he 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 played some stuff that you know I had a a kind of basic idea that sounded good but he did it in his own way that that made it sound much better and um obviously the drums you know David and I sat for hours programming drum machine stuff you know experimenting with arrangements and grooves and tempos but you know, there's no substitute for a real drummer, and Chris Frazier played amazing on the record. And we, we kicked his butt. We he did the record in like four days, and um, it was a lot of stuff for him to digest. And he really did a, a great performance. It's got flavors of you know Ian Pace in some stuff, and and uh, Cozy Powell and other things. And he's he's got some signature things that that I've only heard him do that are on the record. And same thing with Timothy. You know, David would play keyboards or I'd play um, guitar synth on the demos. Just a basic idea. And then Timothy would come in and make it make it sound like a real part. And then if somebody said, hey, I think we should do this, let's." the, the easiest way to do it is try it. And, you know, if it's better, then it's better. And if it's not, then we just go back to what we had before. But It's, it's really great that you guys open it up for the other musicians to try a part because you know i've heard of bands that will say no this is the way we we did it and we're not going to even attempt it but i think what you said is great try it if it sounds great great if it doesn't you just go back to the other part well the thing is is always you know the more the more heads in the mix help out i mean to a certain extent um if you're trying to if everyone's focusing on one thing then it can get confusing when you got so many people trying to to make adjustments but if 
the bass player is working on his things, if the guitar players are working on their things, and everybody's working together for the, for the same cause, which is to make the song cool, and uh, then it's gonna it's gonna pay off. You know, you don't. It would be no fun for for those guys to just come in and play the parts as they were. You know, they need to be able to put their stamp on it, which they did, and especially um, in the rhythm section, those guys really made the songs come to life because. Um, that's like where all the groove is, you know. That's all the, the the heaviness and the feel and all that kind of thing comes from those guys, and they they did a great job. They absolutely did. There is a definite bluesy feel to this record. And speaking of the rhythm section, I wanted to ask you kind of a musician question: Do you guys go in with Chris and record basic tracks with him playing, or does he play later to a click? Well, we generally you go in with the drums and you start with the drums and the bass and maybe a rhythm guitar or something and you record the stuff like that there were a couple songs which we did that on several songs but there were a couple songs where i um was really impressed with what david had done even if he ended up redoing it i wanted i thought it would be cool to have us cut to him because um he just it was just mind blowing. It was the type of thing where I was sitting with my back to him and he'd be singing on this demo and the hair on the back of my neck would stand up and I would just make the sign like a touchdown in, in football because it was like, man, he just was like on fire laying it down. And so I, I, I didn't want to lose that. Even if he redid it and changes his lyrics, changes melody, whatever, I just, it had a great feel. And um, Chris is really good with that because you can you can have a drum machine and a vocal and a guitar part that all go together but then when you have a click track that goes with it and the drummer tries to replace the drum machine as you know because you're a drummer it doesn't always feel the same so we we would ask him hey can you lean back a little bit on the click or or lean forward in this section and for those songs it, it worked out well it's great. You need a, a, a great drummer like Chris <laughs> to do something like that, and it's really cool that it worked out that way. If I can I add one one thing, too, is, um, you know, one of the coolest things about technology in recording and stuff today is that you've got all these options. There aren't, You don't have to do it all in one spot, all in one time. You know, you can, you can do one song the old-fashioned way, and you can do one song completely ass-backwards, you know, if you want to. And the end result is is that the music's better for it. Because sometimes it's better when you cut to the vocal. You know, the vocal's perfect. Why mess with that, you know? I agree. Now, you said that the album, in your opinion, kind of has a European feel. And, and when I put it in, the, uh, the first song, Best Years, definitely reminded me of older Whitesnake. But then... There are songs that really span the entire career of Whitesnake, and I just wanted to kind of give you my couple of thoughts that I had. What I liked about Best Years, it had a great bluesy feel. Um, I love the keyboards in it. Good to be bad uh, reminded me kind of like 1984 Whitesnake, like Love Ain't No Stranger. Uh, Lay Down Your Love, to me, I thought that could have came right off of uh, the record that came out in 1987, the Whitesnake album. All That I Want, All I Need, you know, I think is right up there, if not better than great tracks like In This Love. And then you, I read, uh, said your favorite is Till the End of Time, which is the last song on the record. Yeah, that's, um, it's a really, it's a really important song for me. I just, 
you know, we had, we had, well, the story is that we had written a bunch of songs and demoed and stuff, and we were kind of burnt out at that point. We were, like, ready to move on to actually recording. And we had kind of pretty much wrapped it up, and then I was driving home from David's, and um, and he called me and said, you know, it'd be, it would be cool if we had one more track. Why don't we look at working on this or that? And I said, well, that's cool, but would you... Could we? Would you consider doing something totally different? And and he said, absolutely. You know, whatever you want, we'll get together and we'll experiment. And so um, I just thought he's got such a rich voice and big voice. Sometimes when it's lobbed in with a bunch of guitars and keyboards and drums, you know, you lose some of the nuances. And and so I thought, just you know, one acoustic, almost kind of like Jimi Hendrix's "Hear My Train to Coming," you know, where the guitar that 12-string performance where he sings and he's playing the guitar part with the vocal. And so that was kind of the 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 beginning idea was just like sitting on a porch playing this thing with David Coverdale and let's record it. And um, so when I brought, I brought up to his house the original idea and then he had some chords that we used for the chorus and and then we needed an outro thing and one of the first things that we ever wrote together was in 2003 was the end piece of Till the End of Time and that's the last song we worked on for this record so it was kind of it just kind of came together but what sold it for me was when I heard him and the lyrics that he wrote for that it was just so simple you know you can you can you can write all kinds of very big words or poetry and all this stuff but the way he delivers that simple thing is for me really moving and um, when we were working on that song I was on a real high and and we were I was so excited that we had something different to add to the record but it um I was going later was going through a very difficult personal time and so that song took on a whole nother thing and when I heard the lyrics that David had come up with it just made it really heavy to the point where when we were mixing it I had a hard time working on it because it just brought up like all these great emotions yeah it brought up you know these really great emotions of finally being finished writing and then also you know difficult things that we all got to go through you know and there's always that song when you go through something difficult there's always that song that reminds you of it and for me that's the one it's an amazing song and uh when i was listening to the record for the first time i was initially uh surprised at the stripped down arrangement because of the rest of the record is such a you know hard rock and album but i love it i love it that that song is stripped down like you said yeah he's you know he's got that voice it's so rich and it's really nice to have it not be cluttered with with distorted guitars it's nice to really hear what he's doing and hear the breath in his voice and the and the grit and uh that was you know something that probably we david and i had done a promo tour for our live record, the Live in the Shadow of the Blues, in the end of 06. And he and I went and did, um, he was asked to come to Europe and do some promo for that. And he said, well, why don't I bring Doug and we can do some acoustic stuff. And we had the best time, you know. And I really started to realize how important it would be to have some songs where it really gives him space. And that's one that, that does very, very cool. And I just want to let all the listeners know that uh, uh, the album comes out April 18th in Germany, uh, April 21st uh, in the rest of Europe, and then in North America over here 
April 22nd, and it's coming out on SPV, Steam Hammer Records. And you guys, let me tell you, you've got to go buy this record. Now, Doug, I, I want to talk about some other stuff. You have such an unbelievable history. I mean, I've been a fan of yours since the Lion days, and I wanted to take it back even before then because I, I've recently learned some some new stuff about you that is, I think, really cool and really interests me. Now, were you originally from Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah, I was. I Well, I grew up on the East Coast. I was born in North Carolina and lived in D.C. for a while, Potomac and Rockville, and then I went to high school in the Philadelphia area. I'm originally from Johnstown, PA. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's always cool to see another PA musician, and uh, what what is cool is that you had you had a couple of sisters, one who uh, I know was into Jeff Beck and the other one who played classical guitar, and now did they get you into music for the first time? Yeah, I think, you know, my older sister had a had a record player, and she had um, Blow by Blow by Jeff Beck, and she had Frampton Comes Alive, and she had some, like, a bunch of Stevie Wonder stuff. She had kind of an eclectic taste. And um, and so, I you know, I started hearing that, that Jeff Beck stuff, and I really liked it. I didn't know how to play guitar at that time, but one summer, all my school friends, you know, I think I was about 11 or something, and one summer, they, everybody went away, and and there was nothing to do. It was, you know, summertime. It was hot out. There was no sports to do or anything. But um, I I kind of started getting drawn to that classical guitar, and I asked my sister if I could check it out, and she did let me. And it had a book, and I, so I learned some chords. Later on, I, I got a Jimmy Page copy electric from Sears. I read that, and I wanted to tell you I know exactly what those are. Are because I used to look in those Sears catalogs at, at the Les Pauls copies, and you know they, I'm sure they had Strat copies, and I just I thought it was so cool. I think I, I even circled that in my notes because uh, I too used to look at the Sears catalog for gear. Yeah, they had they had you know they had girls bras and they had musical equipment, <laughs> but um, no, I used to look at those too. No, but they they uh, they had this guitar, so I got that. But the thing that's interesting is, is that nowadays, you know, kids. They've got. There's so much out there. There's computers. There's DVDs. There's there's uh, games and all this stuff. Cell phones, and you know when I was growing up, now I'm you know now I'm old and they didn't have that stuff. We didn't even have a VCR at that time. So that was like my computer game. That was my my you know instead of playing a computer game, I was trying to learn how to play a D chord. You know, but I really was drawn to it and. I'd go to a school dance and I'd just watch the guitar player and see what he was doing. And little by little, I started to learn some stuff. And I'd always listen to records and go, "Man, how are they doing that?" And finally, one day, sh- somebody showed me a bar chord where you can actually move the chord. And it was like, "Okay, now it's <laughs> starting to make sense." But I didn't really start playing like lead guitar until I was around 18 or something. We would we would spend hours and hours learning songs by all of our favorite bands. But we didn't. I didn't start really playing solos and stuff till till I was in high school. Wow. Now I never knew that you went out, and I'm thinking this had to be around '82 to uh, do some stuff with Kiss. Well, I I shouldn't say I did some stuff with Kiss. They they were looking for a guitar player, and a girl came and saw a band that I was in play in L.A. and she said that she thought I should audition for them, and I I couldn't see that happening, but the a couple weeks later we played there again and she brought Eric Carr and so he said you know I want you to come down I think you'd be great for it and 
although I wasn't, you know, Kiss wasn't my ultimate band. I think for me, you know, Zeppelin rock band wise was, you know, that was my my band. And um, but I, of course, you know, I I loved Kiss's music, and there it was a great opportunity. And I thought, well, I'll check this out. You know, what kind of makeup am I gonna have to wear? But <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I'm, they're they're great songwriters, and and, and I like their music. So I went down and went in the studio and played some stuff over they were working on creatures of the night at the time and i kind of did some rough soloing on some of that stuff that was just a test you know it wasn't to keep but they did um gene wrote down a few songs for me to learn to come and audition properly with the band you know play with the band and it was crazy because at that time still no one had seen them without their makeup and and uh it was it was just weird, but it was amazing, and it was a, a really enlightening thing for me. Even though I didn't get the gig, it really was a kick in the ass. Like, okay, well, I'm obviously too young for this gig. I was too inexperienced for that. And um, but playing with them actually twice, I, I was called back again to play with them, and they would rehearse in this like airplane hangar with huge marshals. It was wow. like a concert stage, you know? Even even for the auditions, you went into a huge hangar with like a full stage setup. Exactly. It didn't have like the backdrop or the lights, but it was like, you know, tons of marshals. And I was like, well, how loud can I turn up? You know, as loud as you want. <laughs> but, um, but it was like, it was obvious that I was too young. I would have folded under the pressure of that kind of a gig and it just wouldn't wasn't the right time but it was a great i probably wouldn't be here right now if, if i hadn't gotten that if i if i had gotten that gig because um it really inspired me to to work hard and focus and you know the feeling that i was doing something right i wasn't there yet but i was you know getting there so i spent a long time trying to get better you know well, you definitely must have been doing something right for a couple of reasons. One, that you know, Eric came down and, and you said the, the girl had recommended you for the gig and then the fact that they called you back a couple of times I, I think is amazing and it's such an unbelievable experience that you had a chance to do that at that time. It really is. I mean, the the, the funniest bit was, was, you know, that Gene had given me his phone number. I didn't have a phone at the time. Um, I was just living in this little place by the beach that was, you know, tiny and no furniture nothing but gene gave me his number so i told all my friends yeah don't worry man when kiss comes around we're backstage we're there <laughs> you know i'd never been backstage in my life but i had gene's number so that's it we're in well i called up gene and there's part there's glasses clinking and there's girls you know screaming in the background and you know this is probably like a couple days before they were playing la and gene was like i said gene is doug aldrich he goes who <laughs> you know, and it went it went downhill from there. And Gene, you know, he's I've I've known Gene for for since then, and and Gene's one of those guys that never forgets. But he, you know, he was in the middle of something and didn't want to talk at that time. But I know that, that that's a great story, and I, I know that you have maintained a friendship with him all these years. Yeah, in fact, I I actually just recently bumped into him at the movie theater. Um, my wife and I bumped into him, and she's a fan of his. He's got this TV show. Right. That is really entertaining. I've seen a couple of things of it, and uh, and so I wanted to introduce her to Gene because I knew it would make her day. and And he was really nice to her. And he he's such a fun, you know, he's a funny guy. He 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 goes, yeah. So who's singing for you guys now? You know, stuff like that. 
but uh, he and David are really are really good friends. They've known each other for years, and and we actually um, were on the same build together in New Zealand about a week, two weeks ago, whatever. So that was cool. Yeah, I was wondering where that was because I saw that you guys played at the end of March with Kiss, and I didn't know what country that was in, but that was New Zealand. Yeah, it was a festival that was put on by the I think the the production company that that does the um, uh, those Hobbit movies. I'm spacing now. Uh, Lord of the Rings, and so they, they've you know they've got deep pockets and they put on a music festival that was amazing, great production. Just everything was really, really done well, and uh, they had a great lineup. They had Kiss and Ozzy, Poison, us, um, Alice Cooper, and some other local acts, and it was really well done. We had a good time. It sounds like an amazing time. I'm looking at a list that I printed up here of all of your records, and I, I know that you've done like a lot of other records too that were uh, some amazing tribute stuff, but just the actual original records you've done, I mean, it's like out of control. I mean, f- from back in in 86 when you did Power Love with Lion to 2008, I, I think you've probably done multiple records every year. Well, at, for a while there, and it, it, looks, it looks more impressive probably than it is but um but uh i just i've been doing this for a long time and and kind of been the underground guy so only the diehard fans of of these bands like lion or house of lords or uh hurricane or burning rain would really know about it and um but there was there's been some moments on those records that i was really really proud of and uh and then you know so I was in this band with with uh, a Scottish singer called Cal Swan, and, and the band was called Lion. This was in 86, and we did our first record, and it was a very White Snake kind of band. Cal, the singer, was a huge David Coverdale fan, and he turned me on to some early White Snake records that people in the U.S. hadn't really heard, like Come and Get It and Love Hunter and Ready and Willing, and, um, and also some Thin Lizzy stuff that I had never heard, Status Quo. All these, you know, British bands, and so it's funny now that I'm working with David, and I've, it's like, you know, I had a little bit of a leg up by him giving me those records to see what the older White Snake was like. But through those periods, you know, I'd have time in between where I would do sessions, or I'd go on tour with somebody, or um, I went on tour with Tiffany, the the singer from the the 80s that right. had the I think we're alone now and um actually Chris Frazier was touring with her and they needed a guitar player and I was free and he's like come on man come on the road with Tiff it's gonna be awesome and Tiffany blew me away she is like a real rock singer she was like partying on the bus singing Janis Joplin tunes it was really really cool you know and um and then I for a while I was getting into um, engineering at my house. I have a little studio at my house, and I'd have rap guys coming over, and you know, um, spoken word guys that would like you know do these books where it was. So I was trying to learn how to capture this guy's voice when he's speaking, how it could make it as intimate as possible, clear, so it sounded like the guy was in your head when he was telling the story. And somewhere along the line, you know, all these things kind of culminate and I get an opportunity to work with David on this project and it it kind of you know comes together yeah I really do think that your influences being that they were 
bands like Thin Lizzy and and some of the British bands makes you the perfect guy for the guitar spot in Whitesnake right now because like you said you had a leg up to this stuff whereas like people who had different influences you know would be able to physically play the parts possibly but just wouldn't have that kind of feel that you've got well thanks man there's I mean there's a lot of guitar I'm extremely blessed to be here sitting with you in New York City it's like you know it's amazing there's a lot of really talented musicians out there as you know who don't have have the type of job that I have and so I'm I'm really lucky about that but I do work really hard and and I think that um you know that insight of some of that British music that was kind of Lion's thing is like we were a British American band because we had this British singer in Cal and he was a great singer and he it was very important to him to keep his British roots in our sound and and so you know I when I when Whitesnake came out in 87 it was like oh man that's you know that's perfect you know that's like the perfect mix of of British and American and and uh European whatever it was it was really a perfect record and we wanted we aspired to to be like you know that kind of a band but unfortunately the band broke up we we made a little bit of noise in the states and a little bit here and there we actually did pretty well in japan but uh we ended up breaking up and then i started you know doing a bunch of different gigs but uh i'm pretty dedicated you know when i something like this i i focus 100% on it and i i had to basically for this record th- my family and david's family and michael mcintyre's family we they basically took a back seat to us for the past year when we were working on this it was something that consumed our lives you know but in the end it's good you know it's an unbelievable record 30 years of white snake it's hard to believe that it's been 30 years since the Actually, uh, first white snake record yeah it well it's is it 30 it's 78 was the first white snake is that right? I, I believe, yeah, I believe 78, 77 or 78. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it is. It's amazing. Yeah, unbelievable. And uh, just want to really stress to all of the Talking Metal listeners that you've got to go support Whitesnake, pick up Good to Be Bad. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Mark Striegel, uh, the co-host who unfortunately can't be here today, he's in a, a, another uh, recording session for the Sci-Fi Channel, Um he loves this record. Uh, a really great friend of ours named Tony Kosminski, who uh, co-authored the great Life on Planet Rock book with Lon Friend of Rip Magazine. He is totally into this record, and it's already got a great buzz, and uh, you guys got to go and pick this thing up. Wherever you are, go find this record. Beg, borrow, and steal it, too. If you can't get it, then just steal it. No, but um just want to thank um, thank you and Mark and Tony, whoever is spreading the word about this. You know, in this time, you don't think about, like, you know, how many records are we going to sell? It's it's not important at this time, really. I mean, we're proud of what it is. If it sells one copy or or millions of copies, it doesn't matter. It, it's just, the, you know, our heart was in the right place. We wanted to create some music that we liked, and that's what we did, and hopefully everyone will be able to hear our enthusiasm in it but thanks to you guys for for you know spreading the word a little bit for us because it helps i mean david is um aside from 
you know, my working relationship. He's like my brother, you know, it's like a family member. And uh, he is a really, there's a whole other side to David that, that people don't, re- that I didn't know about, you know. But through this process of, of collaborating with him, you get to see it. And he's like, you know, he's the ultimate front man. He's the ultimate rock star. But he's really not. He's just a normal cat doing his thing. His family is the most important thing. Same as mine and probably same as yours. And it's cool because, you know, there are those those people out there that are that are big stars, movie stars, whatever, and you don't, you know, you never get to know them. But I got to see this other side of David that's very cool. Thank you very, very much for, for taking the time out to do this. I want to tell all of you European listeners, go see Whitesnake with Def Leppard this summer. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing you guys back in the States. Yeah, that would be great. Look forward to it, man. Great. Thanks, Doug. Hey, this is Doug Aldrich from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Snake, Doug Aldrich's favorite song on the record. Great interview. How about all that cool stuff about Kiss? Uh, that was like really cool that he got to jam with him back at the time they were looking for a new guitar player when Ace left the band. Uh, really, really cool stories, and uh, I don't think anyone has ever heard all of that stuff before. So, really psyched that Doug told Talking Metal about that for the first time. Right now, I'm actually in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, the light rail. You see, it's entering 2nd Street. Listen to this. Uh, I guess uh, the uh, commentator stopped talking for a while, so maybe I'll get a little bit of that in when she starts talking again. But anyway, Doug, we want to thank him for the interview. Special thanks to Carol Kay from Chaos. Carol has been a great, great friend of mine for many, many years, and uh, she is just so cool. Okay, now we are at a stop. What is this one called? I don't even know where, where I am. Track 2. That's not the name of the stop, but... Uh, Oh, it's called Second Street. Let's see if we can get this on tape here. How about that? Uh, we are going to now get into a great interview with our good friend Ron Scalzo. 
alias Q-Ball, and he has a great new band out called Return to Earth. This is an interview that Mark and I did on uh, Talking Metal Live, the last episode. Uh, Return to Earth is a great band uh, featuring Ron Scalzo, of course, Chris Penny, who used to be the drummer of the Dillinger Escape Plan, and now he's with Coheed and Cambria. Cambria. Get the pronunciation right. I remember when we were doing that talking metal episode uh, on Fuse, and we were talking about the Dillinger Escape Plan. I could not say that for some reason. Do not know why, but I could not say those four words together today. I think I may have said it properly. Hopefully, uh, the band also features Brett Vini on guitar. So he's actually on guitar, bass, and some other instruments as well. So this is a great, great band. They got some really cool stuff. They have an album. It's called Captains of Industry. It's on, of course, Bald Freak Records, which is the same label that puts out all the Bumblefoot stuff, Q-Ball's label. And uh, they are really, really cool. We are going to get directly into the interview, and then we're going to follow it up with a great track called A New Sound. We talk about it in the interview, and we are going to play the intro as well as the entire song. And there was a little bit of debate on whether or not the Shock Me-style drums were present in the intro or the beginning of the song. Well, we're going to play the whole thing for you, including the intro, so you'll definitely hear it. Anyway, right now, here is the interview with Ron Scalzo from Return to Earth. I think he is here. He's on the line. So maybe we should get a proper bud-friendly introduction for Q-Ball from Return to Earth. What he said. Cue ball. That's quite an intro. Yes. <laughs> Can we do that again? Can we try that again from the top? You're yes. quite a guest, cue ball. Only the best. <laughs> On the phones, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome cue ball. Yes. Yes. But Yo, you're not Q-ball. really going by cue ball. You're going by return. Ron in this group. Um, yeah, that's, that's something we need to uh, separate here, church and state. Cue ball is the electronic idiotic alter ego of the real man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz, myself. Right. Ron Bull. I have a friend who also performs under alter egos. <laughs> yes, yes, don't we all? Don't we all? We're all a bunch of clowns. So tell us about Return to Earth. This is a, a strong record that is definitely not electronic. I mean, this is aggressive, in-your-face rock with almost, at times, I'm hearing like almost like progressive edges to it. I mean, the drumming is just insane. Well, I, we can thank that um, that drumming spectacular uh, to Chris Penny, who, as you guys just mentioned, was in Dillinger and is now rocking in Coheed and Cambria somewhere in the middle of Japan. Hello, Chris. Um, and we met Chris, Brett and I, Brett is the guitar player in the band, met Chris while we were in a Jersey-based band called uh, The Substance, a real pop rock sort of concoction from the late 90s and Chris is also from Jersey and uh, he was actually filling in for our drummer who had a back operation for a couple of recording sessions and slowly but surely we got to know each other a little better we found that we had a lot of mutual admirations in music like Nine Inch Nails and Mike Patton and stuff like that and always wanted the opportunity to work with him in some sort of project and uh, actually he believe it or not he was the first drummer to uh, try out for cue ball uh, when Bumblefoot and I were first getting together back in like 2003 and because of scheduling conflicts and stuff like that it didn't work out but five years later we got to do something that's probably more appropriate for <laughs> for the type of music that we were doing although I wouldn't mind doing cue ball with Bumblefoot and Chris Penny from the start but uh, I'll settle for this Return to Earth is definitely something we're really proud of so yeah the album sounds great by the way and and Bumblefoot 
did what, engineered it and produced it or co-produced it? Uh, we gave him a co-producing credit simply because we did a lot of the recording ourselves, which we were really proud of in today's electronic day and age. Uh, we basically did everything in Chris's studio and Brett's house, and and uh, a lot of the vocals and the um, and the mixing and mastering were done at Bumblefoot Studio, which you guys I'm sure are familiar with out in Princeton. And uh, he was part of the process, definitely. Uh, we had someone else try to mix the record, and it didn't sound so great. And we, we, based on the the tracks that we had, the raw tracks that we had, we thought, wow, this has got to sound a little better. So we put it in the able hands of somebody who I'm obviously intimately familiar with, and that's Mr. Ronald Bumblefowl. And uh, he kind of worked some magic with it, tweaked it a little bit, made the drum sound more lively, made the guitar sound bigger, and just gave it the uh, the treatment that it deserved. Well, Ron, you know what I really love are the the great harmony vocals that you're doing. And now, is that all you? That is all me. Yes, uh, we really wanted to go for something in the era of Queen on steroids, is what I like to call it. Um, I never really had an opportunity to, to really sing with a rock band or a metal band before, or a hard rock band, whatever you want to call this progressive, but. Um, we knew if we were going to do it, we didn't want it to just be screaming. And not that I have anything against screaming. We just wanted it to have that sort of queen and muse sort of sort of vibe on the vocal style. And that really involved a lot of overdubs and harmonies and really trying to bring out the best in uh, in the vocal styles. Unfortunately, that makes it hard to sing eight different part harmonies live, but uh, I'm working on that part. Yeah, I, I, if anybody can do it, you can do it. I, I especially like Endless Bags of Money, and I, I love the vocals uh, during what I classify as the chorus of that. But I also love like the the intro, and I was wondering, I, I saw that Brett was credited with playing bass synth, and I was wondering if that was part of that intro in that song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, Brett uh, couldn't make it tonight, and we, I know we were supposed to be in studio, so my apologies for that, but... Uh... He would have been able to answer the musical portions of those questions a little better, but I believe, yeah, that is a bass synth, and Brett um, Brett is no slouch on the guitar. He's a guy that really um, is a huge fan of old metal, and we met while working at a, at a radio station in the late 90s, and we've been playing music for 10 years, and again, this was an opportunity to work with somebody. When, when you're doing a lot of solo stuff, which I've been doing for many years, and obviously it's nothing like this, and you get a chance to work with guys like this, you kind of jump at the chance. So I'm really happy that, you know, we're already working on a second album, believe it or not. So. Cool. Well, the album we're talking about right now, guys, is called Return to Earth. That's the band. And the album is Captains of Industry. So it is available on iTunes. And uh, where else, Q-Ball? Uh, it's all over the map. It's on my little dinky little record label that also features the likes of uh, your faves, Bumblefoot and Swashbuckle, right. uh, Bald Freak Music. So check out baldfreak.com. And it's on Amazon. Captains of Industry is the name of the record, like you said. And uh, we're actually just starting to promote it. Chris is on tour with Coheed and Cambria in Japan, and they just played a big show at Wembley Stadium. And he's back for a couple of weeks. And we're hopefully going to get in the studio, start recording new stuff, and try to do some shows, at least locally in the New York, New Jersey area, starting in May. So. Now, Ron, when you do shows, uh, Chris will be on drums. Uh, now, Brett will probably be on guitar, right? Yes, yes. Now, w are you going to be singing and playing bass or just singing? 
Uh, I can't play a lick of bass, my friend. So we're actually in the process of, of trying to figure out who is go- indeed going to play bass. How about so, Mr. Astronomy? There you go. Do you if mind you need, a guy you need in, in seven-inch uh, platform shoes and, and a silver you outfit? You wear the silver outfit. Yeah, I'll, I'll wear it. If you need me on bass, <laughs> let me know, and I will do it. I'll be right down there anytime you need me. Well, thanks for the offer. We'll talk. We'll okay. Talk. And you know what? For I a price. To, yeah, for... No, no. I'll do it for uh, free. those jams rocking out, baby. <clears throat> Thank you, man. Thank you. You see my swashbuckle shirt? You got Zaz, John. You got got Zaz. Thank you. I love it. Did you see the swashbuckle shirt appeared in one of the jams Mark was wearing? I did. I did. Thank you very much uh, for for spreading the pirate metal gospel. Those guys are uh, holding themselves up in a studio starting next month and uh, back to the noose. I'll I'll take a swashbuckle shirt anytime. Oh, please. We'll have to get one for Bud Friendly. XL, please. You know what, uh, Ron? I wanted to tell you that you kind of remind me of Mike Patton because you have, you know, the Bald Freak label and he has Ipecac and you're kind of both doing a similar thing. You, you, you're creative guys who are both doing your music the way you want to do it. Well, the only difference between me and Mike Patton is the bank account. But uh, right. absolutely, um, he's he's an idol of mine. Uh, I've been a Faith No More fan, a huge Mr. Bungle fan since I really started getting into into hard rock and metal, basically. When the albums came out, like I remember the Mr. Bungle album coming out, the first one, and just buying it immediately because I was familiar with Faith No More and I was familiar with their underground stuff. And I followed him all the way to Ipecac and Phantomas and Tomahawk. And listen, there's a lot of things... Uh, about Mike Patton that I have to respect the, the most is that he's been able to basically, he can fart into a microphone and he'll get 8,000 people to buy the record on the first day because <laughs> he's earned that respect. I mean, I've right. seen him live. I've seen him in every one of these bands live. And I just, the, the thing I like about him the most, even though I don't know him personally, is I just feel like he seems like a real average normal guy who just likes to play video games and listen to music and chill out and he's not he doesn't uh he's not over the top i mean i know he's been a little wacky in the years with uh with all his crapping and stuff like that but i have the ultimate respect for that guy and i've really tried to emulate my my business and my music after him cool and a lot of people tell me that i sound like him so that's like unbelievable to hear that. So. Well, well, guys, we really encourage all of you to who go to iTunes, use those links in today's show notes to download "Return to the Earth," "Return to Earth." I'm you sorry. You can return to the Earth. You can return on the Earth, in the Earth, <laughs> but, below the Earth, above the Earth, beneath the Earth. But for iTunes, it is "Return to Earth." Captains of industry and Q Ball. I wanted to ask you, kind of off topic here. Yes, sir. Ron Bumblefoot has been in Guns N' Roses now for, for I guess, what what are we going on, two, three years at this point? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, just about two years now. And you're a guy who, who has known him for a long time. Has, has, has he changed much since he's now playing arenas in all parts of the world and, you know, a, become a real favorite on the Guns N' Roses uh, fan sites and stuff like in that? In other words, when you invite him over, does he provide a rider? <laughs> he's definitely sexier. I'll give I'll give him that. I mean, I like his hair. Um, he's definitely lost a shitload of weight. And uh, uh, personality-wise, you won't find a more amiable, nicer guy. He's the anti-rock star, rock star. And um, what I like to see is that this whole... Guns N' Roses situation hasn't changed him a bit as far as my relationship with him and and his relationship with his fans and that's something, you know, in, in the world where you 
you meet a scumbag every other day, um, it's absolutely refreshing to uh, to be with a guy like absolutely. that. Absolutely. To work with a guy like that. Real the check's guy. in the mail. You know what I like, Ron, is that you guys have no contracts between each other. You have nothing. You just, you know, you he helps you out in your stuff. And I like what you wrote. You send out his T-shirts when, when somebody orders one. And I love the fact that you guys have a, like an honor system relationship. It's a rare thing, and it is true. On Wednesdays, um, I'm down here mailing out uh, Bumblefoot T-shirts and swashbuckle koozies. And listen, it beats working a nine-to-five job. That's the way I always look at it. I mean, I've done that. I've done that. We've all done that. We're still doing that. Some of us are still doing that. And God bless America if you want to do that. But I've done it, and now I'm not doing it anymore. And I feel like this is what I should be doing at this point in my life. And I, without him, I wouldn't be here. So, um, And I have a swashbuckle koozie, by the way. You guys are just you guys are just raided the prize closet. Yeah. And yeah. you, you know, my my I have nothing. I have no premiums. <laughs> I have two swashbuckle t-shirt, a swashbuckle t-shirt, and I expect you the mail to mail them. What's today? Tuesday? Yes. yes. Tomorrow's Wednesday. <laughs> Start mailing. <laughs> I like the one that says, "If you can't steal it, something it. If you can't eff it." Steal, Steal it. it. Yeah. yeah, I love that one. Yeah. I give the credit to the Pirates for that. They uh, they come up with all their own merch, and uh, and I just say, okay, let's make them up. Although I have, I've had some issues with some of them, but that's uh, that's not for conversation at this okay. point. Okay, that's a cool. great shirt, though. I have two swashbuckle shirts. They were a big part of the Fuse show that we did where they came in and joined us on the couch. And unfortunately, John and I are not in the edit room as they're putting this, these shows <laughs> together. Or they would have been all swashbuckle. Yeah, or it would have just been a swashbuckle episode, but... It turned out quite the opposite. I, th- I think just about all their lines got uh, edited out, and it was a tough couch, though, because that Ivy Supersonic, she was so, uh, like, uh, domineering, if you will. I, I did, of course, catch the episode, and I did notice uh, a lot of Commodore Red Rum reaction shots being the... Uh, <laughs> Were they bummed out? <laughs> and eating shrimp. That, that's yes. what I noticed the most. Were they bummed out about not being on the show as, as much as they maybe no, thought? These they Listen, these are young guys. They're, they're just starting out. They were psyched to be there. They'll, psych, they'll be psyched to be there again. They'll be psyched to be there anytime you guys want them. And, okay, cool. And cool. <laughs> I like, I like when Commodore Red Rum, he goes... Uh, they, Mark said, like, what do, you, what do you expect from this next record? And he goes, I expect it to be good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was the priest record. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely a band to watch out for. I mean, we heard the demos of the new tracks, and I'm really excited about about what they're going to put out. Hopefully, by August or September of this year, we'll have we'll have a release date over the next couple of weeks. I want to come to a live swashbuckle show. It is an experience. They may ask you to spin the wheel. So I will do it. Be ready to spin the wheel. I will absolutely. Well, let's end things with a little return to earth. This is, I guess, the the first cut off the record, a new sound. Tell us about this one, Cubo. Uh, we wanted something in today's day and age. Uh, you try not to think in terms of album because of um, people going on iTunes and everywhere else, as you guys well know. But we really wanted to. This certainly isn't a concept record, and I don't want people who are into Coheed to think that this is Coheed Jr. It's absolutely nothing like that. Every song is independent of each other. But we wanted something with a long intro that kind of got you psyched to start listening to this record because we think every song is one after another, kind of a little barrage of big rock. And A New Sound was basically written by Chris and Brett. Uh, Brett also wrote the vocal, um, the lyrics, sorry. And that's it, man. It's just... Rock and roll, man. That's all I can say. It's rock with I, a little bit of roll. I got to say one little quick thing, uh, Ron, and I don't know if you noticed this, and I hope this is okay for me to say, but the drum intro in A New Sound is very reminiscent of the drum intro to Shock Me by Kiss. Oh, jeez. 
You got to listen to it. I know that's your least favorite rock group in the world, probably, but it's good. Believe me, it's a great drum intro. If, of course, as you know, or else it wouldn't be on the record. But go. Is, that, is that part of the intro or the actual song? I don't know. Because there was an, there was an okay, intro. Okay, maybe it's part of the actual yeah, song. I don't know if we're going to hear that because I don't have that loaded. I just have the actual song. But well, I'm not see, sure. I think it's part of the song, actually. Just the big T. I, I think I know what you're talking about, but um, Chris Penny is the man to talk to on that one. I play I play vocals. Cool. Okay, Can we get cool. an ID from you before we let you go? Sure. Whenever you're ready. This is Ron Scalzo from Return to Earth, otherwise known as Q-Ball. And you're listening to Talking Metal. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, Q-Ball. Have a good night. And right, this homie. is... Good re- talking to you, boys. Good talking to you. I'll be looking for those business. t-shirts. Plug it, plug it, plug it. A new sound. Return to Earth. Right now on Talking Metal Live. From Bionic Studios in New York City.
sound by Return to Earth, the great new band featuring our good friend Ron Scalzo, alias Cuball. You know, my dad had a friend named Cuball, so I thought that was kind of cool that I now have a friend named Cuball. So, guys, uh, before we sign off, you got to go to GoDaddy.com and support Talking Metal. What you got to do is go to www.talkingmetal.com and then you have to click through the links. There are three different banners on different pages of TalkingMetal.com. Two on a homepage, and there's a, another one that's mixed in with some of those same banners on different pages of TalkingMetal.com. And they all have a special different deal that could work for you. Everything from percentages off your order to certain amounts of money, like $5 off your order, to just other special great deals on GoDaddy.com. And let me tell you guys, Mark and I... StandbyGoDaddy.com. We've personally made a bunch of purchases on GoDaddy.com by clicking through the links on TalkingMetal.com and heading on over to GoDaddy. Uh, there are different codes, Metal 1, Metal 2, Metal 3. Those different codes will help you out, and you've got to do it. Please, do it for us. I am getting off the light rail right now, guys. Check this out. I just got off. I'm at a stop called Port Imperial in Weehawken, New Jersey. So this podcast has started off in Jersey City. We did a little bit of coverage in Hoboken. And now I am in what's called Weehawken. And I'm crossing these tracks. Yo! Hey, I just saw my friend. How you doing? What is happening? You're broadcasting or what? Yes, I am broadcasting. This is Miguel. Miguel just got off the uh, light rail Port Imperial. We are doing a Talking Metal episode, Miguel. How you doing, man? Good, man. Good, good. What are you doing around here? I'm just uh, doing an on-location version of the uh, podcast. And let me tell you guys, worldwide, this podcast goes out worldwide. City Vino in Jersey City, New Jersey is the greatest restaurant. They, they have every wine you could think of. Like, seriously, I've never seen this much wine. Now, Miguel, how did you pick all this great wine? Oh, very, thanks, man. Thanks for the compliment. Oh, and I've been trying wine for a long time and, you know, trying to make a, wine, a good wine list uh, that everybody will enjoy. And, uh, yeah, man, it's going very well. It's going very well. And, you know, people are learning about wine there. People are enjoying the wine. So it's going very well. And you like it, yeah. like it a lot. So, uh, yeah, I am in there all the time, guys. My favorite is it's called a Malbec, right? Yep, the, we have a, actually like five Malbecs uh, from Argentina. Uh, the best one, well, the, the Lagarde Single Vineyard Malbec. That you know, it's amazing wine. This place has some amazing cured meats, cheeses, plus some like unbelievable plates. Uh, the black cod is out of control. You guys got to go to this. It's uh, right next door to the Goldman Sachs Building in Jersey City. It's the tallest building in New Jersey. If you can't find it, just look that up, and you will find City Vino, greatest restaurant, currently my favorite restaurant. <laughs> Thanks, man. Good cool. to see you, and uh, see you there. Great. Hey, I'm going to sign off, guys, so I can hang with my friend, and I'll be right back to the podcast in a couple of minutes. Hold on. Yo, guys, I'm back. Hey, that was my good friend Miguel from City Vino. Cool place I like to hang out at. And uh, sorry for interrupting the GoDaddy commercial with a impromptu City Vino commercial, but anyway, back to GoDaddy. Guys, You've got to go to GoDaddy.com by way of the links, the banners on TalkingMetal.com. Make a purchase, support Talking Metal, and if you do, we will think that you're cool. And uh, if that means anything to you, great. If it doesn't, still go to GoDaddy.com by way of TalkingMetal.com and make a purchase. Anyway, guys, uh, thank you again. Thanks for checking out the uh, cool White Snake interview with Doug Aldrich. 
the great Return to Earth interview that Mark and I did with some help from Bud Friendly with Ron Scalzo of Return to Earth. And there's a helicopter going by. There's two helicopters going by. Always action in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. I am about to go into a restaurant called P.F. Chang's. There's two gigantic horse statues right out in front. It's a Chinese restaurant. Uh, everybody's looking at me because they think I'm a little crazy because I am walking around with a microphone recorder and full-length Black Label Society jacket, so they think I'm some kind of a nut. Anyway, Talking Metal signing off, checking out. Thanks again. Rock on. And we're going to end this with a sound sample of... Let's pick a song. Let me think of something right now. We're going to end this episode with a sound sample of Black Label Society. This is Suicide Messiah. Be sure, guys, to watch Talking Metal on Fuse tonight, May 2nd, 1 a.m., technically Saturday morning, May 3rd. We have two great episodes coming to you. We've got the Don Doc and Mike Patton Atreyu episode with the amazing Turtlehead Jam. And right after that, we've got the Zach Wild Extravaganza, one of my favorite, favorite episodes of Talking Metal on Fuse. Watch them tonight, 1 o'clock a.m., 1 to 1.30, 1.30 to 2. Two back-to-back episodes of Talking Metal on Fuse. Right now, this is... Black Label Society with Suicide Messiah. already knew that if you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car use kelly blue book my wallet on auto trader they're really good at numbers auto trader